It's February 2018. Brian Frias on the Backdrop Project. Welcome to Hacking Culture, free software and the art of hacking. Hacking Culture is sponsored by Lullabot, and I'm your host, Matthew Tift. Welcome to Hacking Culture. In this episode, we continue our look at the Backdrop community, and my guest today is Brian Frias. Thanks for coming on the show, Brian. Thanks for having me. How do you introduce yourself? I normally introduce myself as Brian Frias with Masterfit Enterprises. I'm the brand and technology manager. Basically, what that boils down to is that I tend to handle anything that has to do with digital and or computers. Uh, so websites, um, web servers, as well as all of the internal um, networking and cloud-based networking, et cetera. So that is the gist of what I do and how I try to define what my roles are. And it looks like you have a history of being involved in the sporting goods industry. Yeah, so uh, back in uh, my college years, I took a part-time job in a ski shop while I was working on my computer science degrees. And it just seems like every time I've walked away from the ski business or from the outdoor business, it sucked me back in. I finally, about 12 years ago, um, just took my skills and knowledge and came on board within a, a sporting goods manufacturer, and, and this is where I've remained since. So I've kind of combined one passion with the other. I noticed in your profile, you mentioned you had an interest in CentOS, which is a Linux distribution. Is that one that you use regularly? Yes. So, you know, when you look at the server distributions that, that we use, and pretty, pretty much equally um, using CentOS as well as Ubuntu at this point in time. It depends on the use of the server, but uh, definitely experience with both. Got you. So you use it primarily as your your server, not as a desktop environment. Correct. Yes. Uh, desktop environment, I tend to be heterogeneous. There's uh, any point in time, a uh, Windows 10, uh, Mac OS, and I do have a um, several Linux desktop machines that I can turn to, but I tend to be fairly flexible in that respect. This show is primarily investigating the Backdrop community. So I asked you to come on the show because I thought maybe you could talk just about your experiences in the community, which means there aren't any wrong answers. How did you get involved with Backdrop? So my involvement with Backdrop actually goes back into Drupal. And... Uh, when I uh, came on board with my current employer, there was an old, well, I shouldn't say old, there was a Drupal 6 site, and the individuals that had put it together had kind of hacked it to together in what I would consider to be a fairly poor manner, um, and did not have a lot of experience with Drupal. I was very experienced with WordPress at that point, but not a lot with Drupal. So I started doing a little bit of research, and being out here on the West Coast, I started trying to hunt down um, people who were Drupal experts. And that's when I came across uh, Jen 
and, and by extension, Nate over at Lullabot. But uh, I wound up having some extensive conversations with Jen, and, um, and she basically became my Drupal dev. And she fixed up the site and over the ensuing years continued to really work on it. Um, moving forward, though, about two years ago, Jen had approached me and says, hey, you know, we're working on this fork of Drupal. And, uh, and we were at, a, at that point, by the way, at a crossroads where I knew the Drupal 6 uh, site, we had pretty much hit the end of the road. Uh, the product itself was, you know, pretty close to end of life. And I knew that there was an upgrade in the future. And I'd learned enough about Drupal to realize that I really liked the platform at that point in time. And so, again, that's where Jen said, hey, you know, we've got this fork of Drupal working on called Backdrop. It's pretty early um, but would you be interested? And, you know, this being a production site, there was a little bit of a hesitation, but here's the reality is that I really trusted um, the developer. I really trusted Jen and, and of course, by extension, those that I've met within the backdrop community. So we, we dove in, you know, we were a pretty early adopter of it in a production website environment, but we, we jumped in and, um, and that is how we got involved with backdrop. You hired Jen to update a Drupal 6 site, and then you started building out new sites using Backdrop? Correct, yes. Okay. And, and of course, you know, um, we've continued to hire Jen as a developer um, for a lot of the conversions from Drupal 6 into Backdrop, or I should say for all the conversion from Drupal 6 into Backdrop. And, and then again, you know, where the community stepped up and where Jen stepped up is that you know, very much like a lot of open source projects, it's, hey, you know, we, we've come in, we've shown you some ways, we've taught you some things, you know, now we need to cut you loose a little bit, you need to learn to fly on your own a little bit. And, and uh, it's really easy to do that when you know that you've got the support of a community uh, behind you. And, and again, that's, that's really been a, an endearing part of the backdrop community, the atmosphere, the people that you run into, and, and the attitudes that you get from people. You know, a lot of us that have been in tech, I can tell you stories about forums and about uh, open source softwares that other projects have been involved in where the community seems to be essentially cannibalizing itself or, or you know, there's just a faction of people that are extremely rude and obnoxious. And, you know, uh, answers tend to circle around to, well, did you go and read? Did you Google it? Did you, you know search the forums, did you do all these things before you asked the question a million times? And, you know, I, I personally found that to be a little off-putting because sometimes you do those things, but you don't use the right search terms. So, you know, the backdrop community has been anything but that. It, the experience has been the complete opposite. This is finding people all along the way who take a lot of pride in what they build and are therefore really putting a lot of effort into making sure that, that, you know, you figure things out, you get things moving forward. So it's, it's been interesting. Wow, that's a pretty ringing endorsement. Has most of your interaction with the Backdrop community been online? Correct, yeah, online through forums. And you mentioned you did meet other people in Backdrop at Badcamp? Correct, yeah. My attendance at Bandcamp, and this wasn't uh, this last year, it was the year before, I went through and I sat through a, a full-day session um, which was very interesting, you know, one of the summits that they put on and uh, got to meet a lot of people that were uh, involved with the, the project at a, at a stakeholder or, 
you know, at a, at a fairly deep level. So again, it, it kind of endears you into the project because now I can look at the names that I see in the developer list and I, oh, yeah, I met that person. I met that person. Um, you know, you're putting a, a face to the name and, um, I think it really humanizes it too. I mean, I hate to put it that way, but so much of what we do in our modern culture is, is you see profiles and you see, um, you know, avatars and, and how people want to present themselves, but you don't know the person. And uh, I can look at the backdrop project and I can say, well, I know a, a good chunk of the people that I've met at Bad Camp. And uh, it, it just, like I said, it adds a whole nother element. And I don't even make it sound like a glowing endorsement, like you said earlier, but um, I think that it, it makes it that much better in dealing with it because, again, you can imagine the human behind it and, and um, I think it just enhances the whole thing. Well, I agree with you 100% that it becomes much more meaningful when you know the human beings on the other end and it's not just interaction online. Absolutely. And, you know, when you look at the fact that we're deploying Backdrop, which, again, you know, it's a couple years old, so for all respects, still in its infancy, but, you know, deploying this into fairly critical production environments, um, you know, scenarios where essentially the sites must work and must work as intended. Again, knowing the people and having that personal connection, it, it adds a whole other layer of trust to the project. And, you know, again, like I said, I've got pretty extensive experience with WordPress, and I do have some other sites I run on WordPress. I call them our smaller, less important sites. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a project that has years and years and years of, of time on, um, you know, many, many versions. Um, certainly can't complain about what they try to do, but uh, I know more people in the backdrop community than I do in the WordPress community with, you know, uh, so much less time involved. And uh, again, if someone were to ask me, what you, you know, I have a critical web application we need to employ. What are you going to recommend? Well, I know what my recommendation is going to be, and it's going to be, well, you got to go with Backdrop because it's, you know, the people are engaged. They're there. They're working hard. And, again, I'm not trying to be negative about the work, WordPress community. It's just so big and and so faceless. And, and, again, whenever I run into issues, I always feel like I have to just hunt and peck forever to try to find an answer because there's just so many different people involved. So I haven't heard that sort of characterization before then, that you you do these smaller sites on WordPress, but for your really important ones that you know you need to have always working, you're choosing Backdrop. Yes, and of course, I will, I will comment and say that the um, project goal for 2018 does include migrating the remainder of the WordPress sites over into the backdrop uh, platform. So there, 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 are, there are actual written project goals to have 100% of our technology, you know, of our websites on that platform. Part of it's consistency. Part of it is, um, you know, just having one type of user interface so that all my editors, all the people that have to access the site, they're not worried about, well, am I going into this site with this logging command or that site with that logging command? Um, you know, the decision was that we needed to standardize and, and we're going to standardize on backdrop. So, again, 
moving forward, I didn't mean to imply that I'm going to put the little less important sites in WordPress. It was more like, well, they were already in WordPress and they will eventually get converted in as we go through uh, the rest of this year. You're building websites then for your company? Within our company, we do have about six different websites for different purposes that we use, um, whether it's for product sites or, or specific sites. Let's just call them like landing page sites for marketing purposes. Uh, we also have you know training that we do. We have um, uh, dealer locator stuff as well as you know a small e-commerce presence that's tied in with Amazon. So that's why we have this range of sites. Um, in in a previous iteration of my work, I was building websites as a uh, website developer for third parties, you know, as a business, but have since walked away from that. I'm now completely focused on, you know, what I need to do for this one employer. You want to standardize on Backdrop, and then it's mostly people within your company that are maintaining the content? Correct. So it's Pretty typical in what I want to call a real content management system environment is, you know, you have those that are the admins that that can update or add modules or or make changes to, you know, how the system works. And then I have content editors. We have two different levels of content editors. And, you know, for all respects, we'll oversimplify and I'll say that I've got a an editor and I've got a writer and writers typically are going to write up the articles and pick the pictures and put them into the queue and then the editors come back and make the modifications and then make sure it gets published at the right time so you know pretty much like a newspaper or a magazine would work and um, you know again back into the backdrop way of things is one of the things that's interesting is that out of the box a fresh installation of backdrop the admin interface is absolutely clean and allowing you to add in your users and have that uh, ability to segregate out the roles and duties of the users what they can and can't do is pretty amazing there was a lot of years you could not do that in a wordpress environment wordpress had a, a very simplified hierarchy of users and and you certainly didn't have a way of segregating somebody who could write and publish versus you know um, right and throw into a queue unless you went and put in plugins. And again, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm being negative against WordPress. There's a lot you can do in WordPress. But and here's the other thing I always tell people is that when you look at backdrop, fresh install or out of the box, as I always say, does so much for a multi-user um, group of people that are trying to publish versus say WordPress, which was, you know, its roots honestly was a blogging software in a blogging environment it's one person you know one user that was really you know logging in and making any changes so you know you can go through and add in plugins add in plugins add in plugins but anyone that's a web developer starts to realize that the more third-party add-ins you add in the more opportunities you have for uh, security issues and security breaches and and incompatibilities and uh you know, we just don't find that within uh, Backdrop, or at least what we've done, because Backdrop does so much of what we needed it to do. Um, and, and it was very similar with Drupal, but Backdrop's taken it to that next level easily. Yeah, I agree that they've spent a lot of time working on that user experience and the editorial experience and just making it work really well out of the box. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, like I said, 
standardizing it. It's, you know, why have people go to, you know, website.com forward slash wp-admin or wp-login um, when it can just be, you know, um, url.com forward slash user as it is. And, and again, you know, I, I'm in a situation where my editors and my writers have two different platforms to log into. And again, um, you know, WordPress being prevalent and no shortage of, of online tutorials and help and things like that you can find. But, you know, the editors and the writers I have, they're not technologists. They're not people that, that really dive into technology. So when the overriding request is, hey, we really like this back end better. We really like this publishing platform better. Can we make them all that way? You know, my answer is, yeah, absolutely. And of course, their their definition of better, their selection is backdrop. So again, I always say, well, that's got to be something that's that's worth uh, you know noting is that if you have non-technologically based individuals who can log in and figure things out and, and understand what they need to do, um, you know, versus say other platforms out there, that's got to be again another reason to seriously evaluate it from an adoption perspective. I've had a lot of issues in, in the WordPress front trying to un get people to understand what you put where. And again, you know, I understand that, hey, you know, this is a post and this is a page and, and this is what you do here and, and this is when you tag and this is when you use a category, et cetera. Again, because you can rename all of that in backdrop or, or you know, simplify it all, when you build your content types, it's awesome because, you know, again, it, I don't know what other people do, but I said this is a review and this is an article and and you remove the you remove the the syntax that as developers we're all comfortable with and you change it so it becomes syntax that the end user, the non-technical user can immediately identify with and understand you've got a better platform. Period. It sounds like it's not difficult for you to sell why you guys should standardize on this platform. It sounds like that's coming just as much from the users as it is from your perspective. Absolutely. Yeah, there's, there's been a lot of user push within our company to standardize on that backdrop platform. Getting back a little bit to some of the comments you made earlier about the backdrop community as opposed to the backdrop software, what contributions have you made to the backdrop community? So contributing to the project, uh, I'll term it this way. I've invested company dollars into modules that we've needed. And, and then, of course, I've taken those modules and, and said, yeah, we're making them available to the greater community because if we need them, somebody else did. So we've, we've uh, MasterFit, I should say, has funded, uh, I think at this point in time, three or four modules that are currently available out there. And, and you know, again, my take is that, you know, we, we, don't, we don't ask for link backs. We don't ask for any recognition or anything like that. I see that as my contribution back to the community as a whole. Um, I've also been working locally on my own desktop with some ports from Drupal into Backdrop, which 
I, I've started going through the process and testing wise, they feel good and, you know, seem, things seem to work. So at some point I will be releasing those ports up, um, you know, further into the backdrop community for their assessments and, and uh, you know, going through the process of porting over um, and, and moving things in. So I'm hoping that, you know, again, as we go through 2018, as I convert more of our sites onto the backdrop platform, that that will be where my uh, involvement comes in is, you know, really getting my feet wet with, with a lot of the module porting and, um, and, and again, trying to contribute back in that respect. Very impressive. It sounds like you're saying in addition to getting your company to sponsor modules that you're contributing back to the community, you personally are also porting modules, getting in there and writing some code. You mentioned you had a computer science background. Is this something that you were able to pick up fairly easy? Uh, I do find it fairly straightforward and easy to pick up. Um, I do program in other languages. I, I would consider myself to be, you know, let's just call it a low intermediate PHP developer. I, I certainly would not come at you and say that, that I'm a pro at PHP by any means. I feel like that would be misrepresenting my PHP skills. There are other languages that, that I certainly feel a lot more comfortable in because, again, that's where my, my uh, practical experience and my time and, and, and efforts and repetition have been in. But, you know, again, I, I, I look at some of these things and I, I like the challenge of it. It's like, you know, come in and, you know, the only way you can learn is to make mistakes. And when you have a supportive community that instead of coming back at you and pointing fingers and yelling at you or blaming you for something, they come back at you with constructive criticisms and niceties. It, it does give you a lot of confidence to dive into these projects and, and to put the effort into it. The situation you described is precisely the one that a lot of people have lamented or fear is going to be disappearing from the Drupal community as Drupal becomes more and more complex. This notion of a weekend warrior or somebody that just wants to kind of give it a shot, they don't consider themselves a professional programmer, but then they can jump in and do something like, you know, something useful like port a module. That's the kind of thing that people are, are, are worried about in the Drupal community, that it's become so enterprise focused that the complexity is a big barrier to entry to someone just like yourself that has some programming experience in another language. But it sounds like that, that this is working for you, that you're able to figure out kind of how the module works with some knowledge and a computer science background and then be productive. Yeah, exactly. And like I said, you know, it's, it's always easy to be a little intimidated or daunted. Um, but if the help's there, if the, if the people are there, if the attitude's there, it, it's amazing what a little bit of confidence building can do to your desire to get out there and throw yourself out there to the walls and go for it. You know, again, I, I always come back around and when people say, can you give me an example of a real horrible, acidic, you know, uh, community that just makes you fear and quake in your boots. And I always come back and say, well, anyone that spent any kind of time working with Ubuntu and has had to go to Ubuntu forums for any kind of help, there you go. You want to talk about an unfriendly, uninviting environment. And I consider myself to be an advanced um, systems administrator with, with the Ubuntu server. 
And every so often you run into an issue and I absolutely fear going to the forums looking for help. If I don't find it in the search, a Google search or whatever, I tend to be a little more intimidated about actually going in and, and opening up a discussion because so many times you just get blasted by your peers instead of being helped. And so, you know, again, I look at that stuff and it's like, I fear that, that that's ultimately going to be the demise of say like a Linux or an Ubuntu thing is kind of like with Drupal is that they get to a point where they've grown, where they're being used uh, uh, by a lot of different companies and a lot of different people. But then, you know, if the help goes away, you're basically going to stunt your growth at that point. I hope those are lessons learned and observations made that the backdrop community sees and addresses as they continue to grow. Yeah, me too. And I'm sorry to hear you've had those types of experiences in the Ubuntu community. When you're talking about going to the backdrop community, going to the backdrop issue queue and the various chat, I forgot what technology, what technology is it they use for chatting? Oh, so, well, there's the old Gitter. Gitter, okay. See, I usually go straight into all of the GitHub issue queues. And, of course, there are, there are new backdrop forums, which I think they... I think they officially released the backdrop forums not too long ago, a couple months ago. I do try to go there more and respond and interact there more than anywhere because I know that's where they really want to try and grow the the community responses and help and, and things like that. Well, that must be nice to be able to ask a question, get answers, have friendly people. I mean, I think that kind of experience, you cannot underestimate how important that is for keeping people around in a community and it sounds like they've really nailed it on that aspect absolutely and you know you find something that you think's a bug you go in and report it into the queue people research it um and again they're super friendly if they don't think it's a bug they they're really nice about it and if they do think it's a bug it's really interesting to watch things that you find kind of escalate and work up and down the 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 developer community and, and, you know, again, it's, it's, it's interesting because when you see things that you've come across in your report and then you see, you know, a release version or point release versions down the line, you see it in the resolve queue come up as, hey, we fixed this problem. It's now part of core. It, it does make you feel like you're part of something as well. I mean, that's another way of feeling involved is, hey, you know, it takes a community to, to troubleshoot and not no one person can find every bug. And so, you know, understanding those things happen and going through the process and, and participating in that way has been pretty rewarding as well. It's, it's fun to see, you know, things resolved that you find because you're like, Hey, I made the software better or helped to make it better as part of the team. So did you use GitHub before you started contributing to Backdrop? Yes. Another challenge for people in the Drupal community is the patch workflow. One of the things that's different about Backdrop is that the development occurs on GitHub. Was the patch workflow that the Drupal community used, did that inhibit you from contributing in the past, or was there something else? I would say that when I used to go into... Um, uh, into the Drupal website looking for and, and trying to research when I went across issues, problems that we were having. A lot of times because there were so many contributors and so many people, you would actually just find a patch. 
and you know you'd go and grab your your .p1 or or you'd go and you'd um, you know grab your patch file and you'd implement it in your development environment or your test environment and see what it did. Um, but you know it's interesting because I didn't find their system of communicating and chatting back and forth to be uh, super inviting. I guess uh, I, I just never found myself actually communicating. Whereas you know, maybe it was my familiarity, familiarity with GitHub and, and to some respects Bitbucket, but, you know, not that Bitbucket is where, where the backdrop stuff is, but it's a similar type of a system. Um, and just Git in general, you know, those types of technologies were a comfort zone or a comfort area for me. So seeing it there, it's like, oh, okay, you know, I know what to do. I don't need to worry about, you know, where I'm going or how this works. You dive in and you, you contribute in and you watch how it goes. Um, the other thing that's interesting is that the backdrop group has definitely brought a lot of organization to what they do. Um, you know, GitHub is pretty much a blank slate. I, I've been involved in projects in GitHub that are completely disorganized, <laughs> and you know, you don't know you don't know what you're contributing to or what what issue number or or what you're doing. It's it's just a hodgepodge. So again, I will say that those that are involved in, in putting together that side of the, the backdrop issue queue and GitHub have definitely put a lot of thought and a lot of energy into um, making sure that everything was very well organized, that all the tags made sense, and that, that the process that they go through and moving things through the issue queue is very well done and organized, and that does help. It sounds like those are all of the kinds of sticking points that I've heard people describe about various software communities, and I've been involved with quite a few different kinds, but this notion of, you know, ease of contribution, ease of getting your first pull request or patch or whatever it might be, finding friendly people, and then the software actually working, those are the things that you want to see in a free software project. And it sounds like it's it's meeting all of those needs for you and for your company. Absolutely. It's interesting because people talk about open source or, or free software, and, you know, especially when you look at a commercial uh, company, um, say, versus like a nonprofit or an NGO or things like that. And it's funny because I've had people come in and say, oh, well, you're using the open source because it's free and, you know, everybody's watching the bottom lines. And I usually come back and I usually tell people, no, I use open source because I believe in the ideology and the methodologies of what open source is about, which is, it's all about the community. It's all about helping each other. It's about, you know, building something that everybody has a say in, you know, versus a closed sourced um, software environment. And hey, we don't have to go any further than the traditional desktop operating systems that we have in front of us, you know, i.e. Windows and or um, Mac OS X. And, you know, as users, how much say do we have in what goes on with those particular environments? None. <laughs> Zero. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're shackled by whatever they think the UI and the UX and, and other things are. So, so there is, again, you know, when you look at this, it's uh, the whole open source idea has nothing to do with free as much as it has to do with freedom. You know, it's, you are part of it. And, and I think that's, for those that understand it, I think that that's a very powerful position to be in. Do you find that there is a balance then between people that are contributing to the backdrop community 
using it for personal reasons or for a nonprofit or for a commercial organization, that there's kind of a mix? I'd say that my observation is there's an excellent mix of backdrop being used in that nonprofit slash um, NGO environment, um, you know, versus, say, in a commercial environment. And uh, again, you know, the, the bad camp really opened my eyes to that. Just the, the participants and the people that were there, at least half of them were, were there because of, you know, a nonprofit or nonprofit situation. So it's, it, it's really interesting to see that because, uh, again, I, I have very little um, exposure into that side of, of, say, the business world. You know, I mean, basically since the 80s, I've been immersed in a standard, traditional, corporate, for-profit type of an environment. So it, it was really fun to see that because, you know, you see how, how other people are using it and using it in the same way. Again, you know, that's why I tend to be a little protective, but it's like open source to me doesn't mean free, you know, because everybody has to contribute. You know, time is money at the end of the day, and everybody's contributing time. Um, but the, the ways that these different groups use open source is, uh, is enlightening. You know, it's, again, it, uh, um, it just seems to me that uh, w when you have all these different groups that can find a way to use something, there's something there for everyone that, uh, again, it's just another positive as to what you're seeing. Anything coming up with the Backdrop project that you're excited about? Well, I think that uh, watching them work through the issue queues and seeing the direction they're going in with the, the new releases is always exciting. I think that as I start diving into my spring and summer projects in, in what I consider to be my slow season, where I can really focus in on these, I'll probably look at the at the upcoming milestones as to what they're, you know, what's coming down the pike. And, and, you know, that can, in a sense, you know, provide a little bit more excitement and anticipation as to what's going on. I'll say just seeing the new releases coming out uh, in this last month, it's like, yay. <laughs> you know, you go through the issue queues, you look at all the things they fixed. And, and to me, that's just exciting because, you know, every bug you squash and every, every inconsistent thing that you fix just makes the software platform that much better. Do you use Backdrop at all for personal projects? I do. So I do have a, a new blog that I put together that I use Backdrop on. And I have another blog that, that is extremely personal in nature um, because it talks about uh, some of my other passions that I'm involved in. And uh, I started the process of uh, migrating that into Backdrop. Again, it scales so well that uh, the little blog platforms that I did for myself uh, there's absolutely no problem putting them into Backdrop and taking them off of their previous platform because, uh, again, Backdrop scales from small all the way up. And, uh, again, you know, coming back around to what I said a little earlier, is part of it, too, is personal because just like my uh, content producers, my editors and my writers kind of me saying they want a consistent user interface, I find myself wanting the same thing as well. You know, whether it's for business or for personal stuff, Hey, I just want it to be the same. And, and that is just one less thing you have to think about. Well, I think we've covered a lot of great ground here. Is there anything else that we didn't get to that you wanted to discuss regarding the Backdrop community? 
Well, I, I think what I would add in is that where I would want to be completely encouraging to anybody that would be considering, you know, the backdrop as a platform is that, you know, not only is there this great community that you can turn to for help, but I think that the amount of developers that are that are truly coming in and supporting and and of course becoming experts in backdrop continues to grow. Um, I know every business situation is different, and every company and every nonprofit's got a different environment and a different set of budgets. But I really encourage people to to look into this seriously as a platform. And even if you have to go out and get a developer to do some of the more challenging um, aspects, you know, as far as module development or customizations. I think at the end of the day, it's completely worth it. Um, again, you know, I, I've had experience with other content management platforms. Um, you know, you pay for those modules or those plugins as well. And a lot of times you never ever interact with the developer. And when you put things into place and they, they don't go as planned, the question I always ask people, do you have a plan on how to resolve that when you pay for something and it doesn't happen? So, you know, when you look at the, the growing community of backdrop developers, there's your answer. You know, these are people that are engaged and, and extremely knowledgeable. And because it is still a smaller community, it's definitely not going to be faceless. You know, I mean, you're going to pretty much communicate with whoever is going to be your developer. And, and, and I think that if something does go astray or doesn't work out or there's a bug, you have something to turn to or someone to turn to versus, hey, you know, send an email to this website on, you know, and, and you know, we're consolidating all these developers and so on and so forth. And, you know, people that have been invo involved in web development, you, know, you can substitute whatever name you want in, in there, but it's, that's definitely kind of the norm out there for some of these CMSs and some of these platforms. And, and yeah, you know, you, you do wind up in situations where things just don't work. So, you know, you got to have that community again that you turn to to get these issues resolved. A Backdrop website describes Backdrop as a free and open source CMS for small to medium-sized businesses and nonprofits. Do you think that accurately covers the types of use for Backdrop? I think it uh, absolutely does. Um, I do think they are shorting themselves a little bit if they don't indicate, you know, say a larger enterprise presence, but I understand the uh, being a little careful and diving in there because, in, you know, when you look at enterprise, who knows what kind of modules they may or may not need. And until there's more modules ported over, you know, maybe that's why they're billing it that way, or maybe they're billing it that way from a marketing perspective. But again, you know, having done a lot of uh, server um, admin and DevOps, uh, I can tell you that I've got our backdrop for our big set running on a, on a fairly modest um, piece of hardware with so much more speed than the Drupal 6 site ever did on a much more robust piece of cloud software or a cloud server environment. I know that they spent a lot of time just optimizing it. So that's why I say, I guess that's the long-winded answer is that, sure, it's absolutely fantastic for your small and medium business and your nonprofits. There's no reason why it shouldn't work in an enterprise environment, especially because I think it's a lot more conservative with the server environment it needs in order to operate with max speed. Well, it sounds like you know what you're talking about, especially since you have a background in server administration. So when you say that 
the backdrop site feels quicker than the Drupal 6 site that you're able to actually compare. It's more than just it feels this way. Like you have some, you you have a pretty good sense that it's actually running more quickly. Absolutely. And it's interesting because when we, when we did the conversion and, and I went back into the old D6 site, and I ran through some of the pages, and then I went over to the new backdrop site because, you know, we, we ported over a lot of the old data. Um, you know, not only did the timer that I was running say, hey, this is what your page load times were, but the user perception. You know, again, you don't need a timer to click on a link and to have a perception of what it takes for something to load and for the information to become available if it's that demonstrably different. And, you know, the perception when you clicked on the same information in the new backdrop site was, bam, there it was. And, of course, the page load times, the timers were supporting that um, assessment. But, you know, the old D6 site, you click on a link and you would wait. And you knew you were waiting. So there's, there's a lot that they put into making sure that, that uh, the back end was highly optimized. And, uh, and I got to give them a lot of kudos for it. I mean, it's... They did a great job. Well, I really appreciate your time that you've taken, Brian, coming on the show and sharing your experiences. You've certainly made a great case for how someone could use Backdrop and how you are using it for your business. It's just wonderful to hear that people are starting to use it in the way that it was envisioned and not just that it's great software, but that it's a great community. So I really appreciate you taking the time to share your story. Well, thanks for having me on the show. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hacking Culture. You can learn more about this show and subscribe at lullabot.com slash hacking culture. Please follow at Hacking Culture and at Matthew Tift on Twitter this episode is released under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 United States License. Hacking Culture is produced at Lullabot. The theme music is from the Open Goldberg Variations. Thank you for listening. Music